0: If you want world-class high-performing companies and world-class high-performing teams, you have to apply this data and analytics and the innovation you can actually go take from sport and, and apply it into business and look like a giant.
1: My guest today is Mike Zani, CEO of Predictive Index. On this episode, we dig into innovation from a completely different lens. The innovation Predictive Index provides doesn't typically end up in a strategy deck or a brand story, but is equally critical to the success of any organization. You see, Mike Zani's company innovates in the process of hiring talent. Welcome to Beyond Innovation, a series that breaks down the mystique, explores what works, what doesn't, and what innovation really means with experts who live it every day. Welcome everybody to another episode of Beyond Innovation. I'm really excited about uh, my guest today. It's a little bit of a departure from uh, some of the guests we've had in the past, uh, but I am really looking forward to digging into this topic. Um, I want to introduce Mike Zani. He is the CEO of Predictive Index, and I'm gonna let you, Mike, sort of, Bring everybody up to speed on your background, a little bit about Predictive Index, and then we're gonna we're gonna dive right in.
0: Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here on Beyond Innovation. Um, I started my career as a professional sailor, and I was fortunate enough to be a sailing coach for the 1996 uh, U.S. Olympic team. And really romantic job, romantic life, but I realized I was never gonna have a family and a normal life if I stayed on the road 340 days a year. So I I took a job in the sailing industry, loved, fell in love with business. Um, But, you know, the, the sailing industry is, is, is very much a lifestyle industry and there's not, there's not the perfect mentoring. So I ended up applying to business school, was lucky enough to get into Harvard business school. uh, And it really was a trade school, learning the trade of, of business. You know, I read every case and a, didn't, didn't, didn't do well on every case, but read every case, gave it the old college try and ran into a business model called a search fund where you buy used companies with other people's money. And uh, my business partner and I are on our fourth platform. We've you know bought and sold three companies. Uh, we're on our fourth company, the predictive index. We've been doing this for eight years. It's really a dream job uh, because as you buy companies and sell them, and if you're if If you have good returns, you become better buyers and more yeah. desirable investors, so you can buy bigger, better companies. and the predictive index is is just a fantastic company. That's great. That's great.
1: So why don't you give us a little bit of uh, insight into what predictive index does and uh, and sort of how you guys um, sort of bring value into the into the talent space?
0: It, it's a construct we call talent optimization and it's it's the idea that Every CEO has a strategy, you know, some good, some bad. Most have a a one to five year financial plan to support that strategy, but tragically few, tragically few actually have a talent strategy. We use behavioral science, data and analytics, and a network of consultants to help companies build talent strategies to really put world-class teams in the field.
1: So I think, you know, as you, this, this, this podcast, our company, is really based in strategic innovation, trying to understand where we have uh, white space and room to maneuver. So some might be asking, why are we having a conversation about talent acquisition, talent management, talent strategy inside of an innovation podcast? And the reason why I was so excited to talk to you is because if you look at the foundation of innovation across all the companies that we work for, the talent... Builds that floor, and without that floor, you cannot move the needle from an innovation perspective um, without talented people living inside of your organization and I love the little i don't know if this is your mantra or your tagline or whatever you want to call it, but this 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 idea of better work, better world that I came across while doing research for this really struck home with me, and so can you just get into that give us give us uh, sort of what what that's all about.
0: That that is our corporate mission, you know. And when when we get people, um, and and you get to unlock, you want to recruit great talent, but you also want to unlock their full potential. So mm-hmm. when you get great people, and they're in a job where they can be successful, and they have the tools to communicate well with their teammates, they have the tools to uh, and capabilities to connect with their manager, and the people around them. They feel connected to. The company's mission, vision, vision, and culture, they're happier, they're more yeah. productive. And of course, you get better companies out of it. But more importantly than this, most people, you know, do not live to work. They work to live. So when they go home, when they go home to their more important part of their life, they're still energized. So they can be a better spouse, they can be a better parent, they can be a better sibling, a, a neighbor you know, so they can read another book to their child and be more patient, helping them with homework, as opposed to when people don't like what they do, they sit on the couch, they crack open a beer, and they're kind of miserable, and eh, they don't read the book. So the better work, better world is real. You can really change the world by making better workplaces. Yeah, you get the productivity, you get the output, and your company has better things like better EBITDA percentage and margins. But also, you go to bed at night knowing that you're helping society by all your employees like what they do and they're better people. Yeah, I,
1: I, um, A prescribe to that and B, believe, believe in that deeply that, that um, you know, work, is, uh, work can be very draining on your personal life. And that balance between those two has become more and more difficult. And I think over the last three years, that's got even, gotten even more difficult because we've blurred those lines so much. So this idea that, that that's the mantra of the business. And that's the sort of goal that you're, that you're putting out there is, is not only admirable, but it's, it's real. And, and I've experienced it firsthand.
0: So there's a great business thinker, Michael Alasso. He, he speaks a lot, um, He's a, he's a former actor-director, so he approaches business from a different perspective. Yeah. And he talks about act two. He says, you need to make sure that you have the energy for act two. That is your most important act. When you walk in the door and your partner or whomever is there waiting for you, that you have the good stuff still left for them.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's totally true. So, so uh, as you approach predictive indexes uh, sort of capabilities, and as you look at how companies can sort of leverage the way that they bring on talent to help support their, their, their goals. Can you just give us an insight into, um, you use this term a lot, uh, the head, the heart, and the briefcase. Can you just kind of walk us through that philosophy of, of bringing on talent and what that means um, specifically?
0: Yeah, it, it's really that's that's a, a construct that we put together a framework for, you know, talent acquisition
1: okay.
0: can use it talent acquisition after they're already employed like internal talent acquisition, right. but 90% uh, plus of the business community overweights the briefcase. So in the construct of head-harp briefcase, the briefcase, it should today it should be called head-harp knapsack, but it's it's your curriculum vitae. It's your resume. It's everything right. you've done to get here. Right. And it looks something like, wow, you've done customer service at three companies, and the last two look a lot like us. We would like you to do customer service here. And you're like, you have no idea whether they were good at it. They just did it. So it made sense to you. So you do these unstructured interviews, really over-focusing on the resume the head heart briefcases briefcase often has to be there if you're hot hi- if, if you're hiring the head of research for moderna person needs some you know biotech background right 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 you know, knowledge of the fda processes you've got to have some jobs you've got to have the briefcase but the head and the heart people don't interview for it or they don't interview for it well and it's just as important, if not more important than the briefcase at predicting success. So the head is you know, cognitive capabilities, things like behavioral science to say, is this person a good fit for this role? Like, I could be a CFO, but I'd make a terrible person for accounts receivable and about accounts payable. I don't <laughs> have the attention to detail to do that part of the work. So how am I going to make it to CFO? It's like a conundrum. So you, you you need to know the behavioral science. And then the heart is really this is this is about their values, it's about their passions, it's it's a lot about what what drives them when they are actually at work, how motivated they are. Um, right. and that's a very personal thing from company to company. You know, there are cultures, like let's take the military, they want to kind of scrub you of your old heart and build you a new one. Right. And that's why they recruit people at a very young age. Uh, and it's not brainwashing, but it's sort of like this—the this system of how they get shared fate in it together. That's one way to do it. But you might have another company that might be—it looks like my company back here, which is a cool startup—or you're like a construction company. Different different levels of heart, and you really need to be structured. We coach people on how to interview for the heart part of the interview.
1: Yeah, that's the hard to me. That's the hard part. And I mean, I've built a company here where 80% of the staff, if you looked at their briefcase, knapsack in our case is a better, actually better analogy. um, uh, No one's background is an obvious fit to the job that they're doing today. Everyone's background is a building block for their head and their heart. And and at least for, for me personally, I'm way more interested in hiring somebody who's got enthusiasm, eagerness, willingness to learn has demonstrated that they've picked up new things and can apply those in unusual ways than somebody whose resume just says, I did this already. Because um, I feel like you can train that you can train that last piece. You can't train enthusiasm and you can't train uh, morals and you can't train that piece of the of the of the world.
0: And that you know, the 10 words that you use to describe that heart, each company has it slightly differently. You know, if I'm a, if, if I'm a, you know, a football team and I'm, I'm sort of like, I want, I want strength, you know, I want speed, you know, I want, you know, work ethic, whatever they describe it as, but that, that heart, that intangible doesn't have to be intangible. It can be tangible. Right. And, but you have to train. What are we looking for? And then how do people actually, interview for it and one right. of my favorite questions like why do you want a job at the predictive index and you know when someone says well you know i uh, I, I live five miles away and you're like great just because we're close we're <laughs> yeah. the best company that is with it. you're like no you're like you're like i'm completely you know connected to your mission of better work better world and i think talent is this last great lever and you go yeah you're the, you're our people like you're, you're sort of someone who's passionate enough to want to do the craziness that we do.
1: So, so in the, in the space, okay. So the world that we live in, I'm going to say it moves really quickly. It's kind of difficult. It's a little bit ambiguous. You know, when you're talking about innovations is big word, it gets overused. It's under, it's uh underdefined. And yet every single company out there is going to talk about how they're trying to be more innovative. So if you're actively pursuing talent to live in that uh, sort of uh, mystical space. Does predictive index then just pro- provide guidance? Can you kind of get into like how you guys support that effort for companies like us, like our clients who are trying to do exactly the same thing?
0: Yeah, we we actually, uh, we map our behavioral science to this competing uh, values strategy framework. Okay, and you know if if you look up the CVF or competing values framework, you'll find out about this this quadrant. And there are four quadrants. There's a there's an innovation quadrant. You know, there's a results and discipline quadrant. There's a process quadrant. And there's a team quadrant. And what you can do is you can map people behaviorally. What are your preferences, and where do you fall on these quadrants, and and how extreme are you? You know, are you very extreme and super committed to that quadrant, or are you somewhere in the middle and more of a bridger? And what what we end up seeing is you you do the analytics and you go, wow, this team is incredibly homogenous. Like, let's take the senior team of a hospital. You know, hospitals, Not I'm not talking about innovation research hospitals. No, no. Hospitals, you've got the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. They're measured on outcomes. Yeah. Which means, wow! I want to send my, you know, grandmother to get this procedure here. It has a fifty percent, and this one has a twenty-five. Like I'll pick the fifty percent. That's mm-hmm. a better choice. So they're measured on outcomes. They don't take risk. You know, they ha- there's a promise that I give you the right drug and the right dose at the right time to the right person in the right arm. All that stuff. It's not surprising that they're homogenous about process and precision. Right. So all of a sudden, if that team wanted to innovate, you're going to say wow, this team's going to struggle innovating unless we add some other flavors and spices to this team right? and augment that team, which is homogenous. So we we look at, is your team heterogeneous or homogenous? Where do you map out? And then how do you map to the work that you're doing? Like that senior team for that hospital might be perfect. They might say they innovate in the marketing literature, but they're not, they're just... <laughs> They're keeping the ship running. Mm-hmm. And frankly, when you walk into a hospital and they've got hundreds of doctors and thousands of nurses and thousands of administrators all on different shifts popping in and out, their process and systems have to work because it's, it's the, the, the people are just Lego pieces. Right. Whereas if, if you're developing you know, the iWatch 9 or the Apple Watch 9 and, you're, and you're, you're kind of trying to figure out what the next thing is, that team's going to have to have a different profile.
1: And so one of the, one of the you know, you, you mentioned it a little earlier, and one of the topics that you've brought up in here is is this idea of data analytics and process as a part of your hiring aspect or your hiring um, practices. And when I hear those three words in our space, those are the same three words that we use when we think about entering new markets, when we think about creating new solutions, when we think about creating new services. And you're bringing this to creating teams of using data, using analytics and using process. And I think that's pretty foreign to a lot of to a lot of companies. I, I, I don't I have never heard that before until I heard you say it uh, uh, previously.
0: Well, if, if you if you flashback 20 years ago, you know, read Michael Lewis's book Moneyball mm-hmm. and then you most people watch the movie with Brad Pitt, whatever. So completely changed sport. Sport right. is 20 years ahead of business yeah on data and analytics yeah and now on monday morning most fantasy sports people or fans are diving in who am i playing next week and what's the weather in buffalo and all of all of this analysis to find out how to move their team around they do this on the weekend uh, for their personal life but they don't they work with the same you know turd for 3 years who <laughs> never delivers on the project. So they don't bring the same data and analytics to, right. to bear. And if you want world-class high-performing companies and world-class high-performing teams, you have to apply this data and analytics. And the innovation you can actually go take from sport. Right. And, you know, and apply it into business and look like a giant. But you're really a giant among pygmies because Business is so far behind sport, but really these gains that you can make are astronomical because in a modern company, 65% of your cost structure are people and people related. Yeah. That's average. Your, your company might be way Mine's higher, higher
1: than Mine's higher. Yeah, yeah, Mine's all people.
0: All, all people. So, so now you, you look at 65%. Why aren't you trying to optimize sixty-five percent of your cost structure? And strategies don't execute themselves. No, people execute those strategies. Right. And, and to think that you're gonna, if if you and I bought the Boston Red Sox tomorrow, I mean, the, the first things we're gonna do, like, who's gonna be the head of baseball operations, which is who recruits the people, and then yeah. who's gonna be the manager, who gets yeah. those people to work day to day. Like, those are the most important jobs. Like, but we don't do the same thing in business. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean,
1: using sports as an analogy, the number of people looking at data, baseballs, baseball has gone to a whole nother level. All sports ha- are moving in this direction where you're now tracking people's movement, tracking people's pace, tracking their heart rate, tracking their fitness, tracking their food. Uh, I'm a big cycling fan. You go watch the Tour de France. That's like that is a that is a data filled um, sport that people on the outside look at and think that's an individual sport. When in reality, that is as team a team sport as exists, and the way the team is struck, constructed is exactly what you're talking about. We need this person who can do this job so that they can support this person who can then put somebody in the front of the race. And I think it's very unusual for businesses to look at their teams that way and. Um, It's a it's a it's a framework that I had that I had never that I had never heard before um, that I think everyone in the business world can benefit can really benefit from.
0: And I think there's a there's another more interesting uh, analogy from sports. So when you when you when you have the mandate to win immediately at all costs. Yeah. In sport, what people do is they mortgage the future for the present. They they, right. they go to the free agent market and and just pay bye, bye, bye. the best and brightest because I got to win right now. Yeah, and they trade away the future. So there are companies like that where they're just going for it. Sometimes they're private equity run. They were just purchased, and you're like, we're, we're completely changing this company. But the companies that win consistently over time, and the and the, and the corporations, or I mean the 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 sports teams. Not only do they recruit well, but they invest in training and development of their people. Uh, so you take this long-term strategy. they might not win every year, but they're almost always there. They're really good. Yeah. And I think when you get companies that yeah, occasionally you go to the free agent market to fill one need. But really, you know, you're you're recruiting, head heart briefcase. Try and recruit thin briefcases so you you can train these people yourself. And yeah. And develop them into the using the things like head and heart to really harden your culture. Long term, you create these world class organizations, low churn, you know, high engagement, high productivity, high morale, and and people who can on, who can really do anything.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love it, and it's uh, it's funny. I mean, in, in a in a in a genuinely um, real way, my business. Is a version of that where we become this head and heart that shows up into another company's pre-existing organization. We bring the unusual background to that organization to try to help fuel them in their innovation needs because we can bring the the component of it that they don't have, bolster their pre-existing teams, and we do it in a way that is. Um, additive to the direction that somebody's already going and it's i wonder how much companies really use these processes to look at supporting their goals with outside companies instead of just always hiring internally like how, have you come across that
0: I would love to 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 see your team's makeup on the competing value framework and it. then some of your clients to see yeah. what you might be doing is take that hospital example you know, if they want to innovate, they're all looking at you, eyes blinking. How do we innovate? We're right. interested in doing no harm. And you come in and go, here's how we're going to innovate. Yeah. And whatever initiative it might be, maybe it's a, a, a new radiology center. Right. Blah. So you're like, okay, you help them scope it out. Now go execute on the in, innovative plan. I, I, I do think that's a great formula to yeah. inject energy, attitude, and innovation can be a, a process. Now, long term, if if you're going to differentiate on sustained innovation, then you're going to have to, you, the company, are going to have to leave behind.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that has to be that relationship where you come in you give this this very fast, very hard push, and then you set up a process where you can step back and step back and step back, and then it goes on to it on its own. I, I, oddly enough, I have a meeting shortly after we're going to record this with a hospital <laughs> doing exactly what you're describing, blinking eyes, saying, we're trying to move in this new direction, and uh, we're, 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 we're helping a hospital right now um, in that very process. And, and you're right about the people involved um, all see the world from a very similar lens. And we are coming in as this alternate lens, um, to the world. And they, there, there's a good, I mean, we can't do what they do. I can't treat people and we come in doing something they can't do. And I think constructing your entire organization that way is sometimes uncomfortable.
0: It, you have to be careful not to break it. Yeah. If if our senior team, which is heavy in the innovation quadrant, ran the hospital, we would change something and all of a sudden there'd be people in gurneys with toe tags. You're like, what happened? And like, yeah. I think we broke a process. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll fix it shortly. We're really good at coming back, fixing it. Yeah. You're going, but but there's people.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you need both. You need both.
0: Yeah, you need both. So it. I really feel I love using the hospital example because they don't have the luxury. There's a, another great example of this is uh, a school system. Mm-hmm. Teachers have a day-to-day, hour-to-hour mandate. You know, group teaching. Their promise is, I'm not going to let a kid fall through the cracks. Right. You know, and they 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 nurture them through the curriculum hour to hour, day to day, week to week, if, if Johnny has had a bad week or two, there's sometimes interventions. But the administrators aren't thinking hour to hour, day to day, week to week, they're thinking quarter to quarter, year to year, and they need each other. And right. usually they, they throw stones at each other. You don't get us. You don't get us. And it really, they both need each other and we need to give them the tools so that they can coexist and yeah. say, okay, you worry about year to year, i'm going to worry about day to day let's not break the systems and when we come together how do we innovate without my system falling apart or your system falling apart and you you come in and say this happens all the time in businesses where there there are these cleaving lines and sometimes it's management versus production sometimes it's front of house back of house you know maybe it's marketing sales or maybe it's engineering and you get these cleaving lines you're like you guys we need each other
1: right and it comes back to this idea of data analytics and pride. If you're constantly reviewing where your business is going from a strategic perspective, who the people are that you have that are going to take you there, and you're always mirroring those two against one another through, through process-driven uh, methodologies, then you have the ability to sort of navigate your team to get you to where you want to go. And if you don't, you're going to turn around one day and say, I have this group of people, but I'm trying to go over there. And this group of people is set up to go somewhere else, and um, that's that would be a very challenging place to be from a from a business from a business perspective.
0: Yeah, th- those 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 shifts can be can be really difficult. But I, I it is you get the most process in the hiring phase yeah. just because it it is it can be mechanical, right? And oftentimes you make it better. By building the process into your applicant tracking system. So listen, we, we run a pretty rigid process. It may slow us down for the first six weeks, but we'll eventually get faster because, as the process figures itself out. It's the day-to-day um, that you often don't apply the same, the same rigor to in terms of process. And it becomes it falls into this art camp. You're like, I know how to run a good meeting or I know how to manage a good team. And you're like, Do you?
1: Yeah. So, so um, I'm going to just throw a little curveball at you with regards to Predictive Index, because I I have this interpretation of your of your company. Now, I have never worked with Predictive Index. Uh, I did research prepping for this, but I see your business as an innovation driven company, and I see it that way because so much of what you've talked about today, so much of what I've heard you speak about in other in other interviews that I've heard that I've listened to with you, some of the research that I've done on the company. You're you're moving hiring into a different space than where it has been, which requires you as a company to think in this different way. Can you just give us a sense of how your actual tools and practices have influenced your own business? How you use them to drive your own hiring and your own innovative processes. What what have you guys done in that, in that arena uh, to sort of eat what you serve?
0: Firstly, there's some great irony here in that our company was founded in 1955.
1: I knew that, and that's amazing.
0: <laughs> We're looking at almost 70-year-old behavioral science. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is behavioral science doesn't really change, you know, the frameworks and constructs. And the competing value framework, which I brought up earlier, that we applied it to, is probably 35 years old. So you're taking 70-year-old behavioral science, applying it to a 30-year-old you know, strategy framework, and you're like, how, po- how could you possibly be innovative? right? And you, you kind of go, go like this and say, well, we've had cars for a long time. Yeah. As a matter of fact, some of the very first cars were electric, but now we're electrifying them. And, sure. and that's, that's innovation. You're like, you no, know, we're taking these things and putting it together in ways to wake up, wake up the world. One of my biggest jobs as the CEO is I walk around with a two by four whacking CEOs in the head saying you have to change. Right. My biggest competitor is not the company down the street who does something similar. It's actually doing nothing and staying with this old process. Right. So I, whenever I talk to a CEO, I'm like, who is the highest talent HR person in the company? What's their title? Who do they report to? What sort of activities do they do? So you get this thing, oh, it's, it's a director. It reports into finance. And that's, it's common for HR to report into finance. You know, you've got payroll, you accrue for personal time off. So there's some analytical financial type accounting stuff. But I look at them and say, you have no talent strategy. Right. And you are the default chief talent officer and chief cultural officer, and you're failing at it. Why yeah. would you not have a world-class individual to help you build, you know, the, uh, go back to the Red Sox. Who are the first two people we're going to hire? We buy the Red Sox. When, when, I've had the pleasure of buying four companies. So first time, really screwed up the talent piece. As a matter <laughs> of fact, help me go on this journey. And the second company, my very first hire, was a VP of talent. Huh. Same com- same person is with me today. She is the chief people officer at the Predictive Index. You know, three companies later, bringing, her name is Jackie Duby, brought Jackie with me. And the idea is, like, the founders of this company that, that we bought, it was called Shape Up. It was in Providence, which is near and dear to your heart. Yeah, yeah. So the, the founders of this company are like, we're 10 people. They're like, why is your first hire going to be overhead? And I'm like, we're 10 people. We're going to be 75 people. Would you like us to build a world-class team or not? And if we're going to build a world-class team, I can't be doing this all day. I'm the CEO. I'm supposed to be out doing the CEO activities, raising money, evangelizing what we're doing. And like the very first hire, most people are like, your first hire was a HR person? You're like, absolutely. If you're committed, so CEOs, if you're committed, their head of talent should be senior strategic and report directly to you, Right. period, full stop. If you're not, you suck at your job.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, uh <laughs> that's, it's interesting because that seems, re- when you say that, that seems very obvious. And
0: yet how many 10% th- of companies are like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, the fact that like the way that you articulate that, it's like, yeah, of course, that's exactly what should happen. And yet, you know, again, I, I look around here and I think about our company that we have and our biggest asset are the brains and the hearts of the people who work here and their ability to deliver excellent results is how we build our brand, build our credibility. And accomplish our goals, and if we're not paying attention to that, we're we're doing this wrong. And uh, yeah, so I feel like that's a that is an that is an excellent message uh, to sort of to sort of land this on. So this has been super informative for me, uh, informative for our audience. I really appreciate that you took the time to come on. I want to come see your office in person because it looks super cool.
0: Yeah, we'll go skateboarding.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so, thank you for the time. Uh, any, any, um, as we as we sort of close this up, anybody who wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way um, to reach out?
0: Uh, the Predictive Index, uh, predictiveindex.com/learn. You'll learn a lot about talent optimization. Um, uh, DreamTeams.io is the URL for my book, and you can take Great. some free assessments, read a sample chapter there, go on that journey. I'm certainly reachable. Uh, both of those locations, as well as Love LinkedIn.
1: It. Love it. I'll tell you just as a closing. I took your survey on your website. I sent it around to a handful of people in the company as the results came in, and they were like, "That's pretty much perfect." And I, I was blown away. I mean, it took. What me- was your I- reference profile? Mag Maverick.
0: Your Maverick. Okay, that's not that's not shocking. So Maverick is fully committed, upper right innovation quadrant. You know, breaking rules without regard to putting them back together no, it so good or bad,
1: but that's what it came back as and everyone no, here was like oh yeah that's you it's
0: like yeah hey. and what's interesting is sort of like who do you surround yourself to balance your maverickness um which is which is super well yeah. I, I i really hope your audience justin like you learns learns something starts wow. going on this journey it's really like the the innovation steps that we need to do here are are, are really just getting the motor running because there's yeah, just love so it. much here
1: love it Appreciate your time. And, uh, uh, thank you very much. Have a super day.
0: All right.